You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show, coming right up with Gavin Walker.
September 1st. Whoa, already. <laughs> Welcome to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name is Gavin Walker, and of course CITR is at 101.9 on your radio dial or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And uh, we have a very interesting and varied show this evening, uh, all the different aspects of this uh, marvelous music that we call jazz. It's a pretty broad term these days and um, sometimes used a little, uh, uh, a little too much describing music that's not really jazz. Um, unfortunately, the terms over the years get diluted and all this kind of stuff, but uh, our focus on, is on the real thing. And uh, speaking of focus, that is the subject of the first music we're going to hear this evening, our jazz feature album. This is an incredibly special album by one of the great masters of the tenor saxophone, Mr. Stanley Getz. Stan Getz. Stan was born in, on February 2nd, 1927, in Philadelphia, of um, immigrant uh, Ukrainian Jewish parents. And uh, Stan had a somehow, as a little boy, an interest in music and uh, began lessons on the bassoon of all instruments and then switched to saxophone. And uh, he used to practice eight hours a day and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But Stan uh, began his professional life very, very early uh, in, in his teens and... Um, Everyone who ever heard him, even back then, realized that there was something special about Stan Getz, and of course there was. He's become, uh, now that he's uh, been dead and gone a number of years, um, thought of as one of the most prominent voices of the tenor saxophone, and he's mentioned in the same breath as one would mention Coleman Hawkins or Ben Webster or John Coltrane or Lester Young or Sonny Rollins. Uh, Stan is is up there as well. He developed his own uh, unique style uh, on the tenor saxophone and uh, is an incredible um, improviser. He uh, developed uh, not only technique, um, speed, but sound. And, of course, that was his nickname for uh, many years. They referred to him as The Sound. And uh, Stan Getz had a long and varied career in music. One of his triumphs, and uh, he said this uh, not long before his, uh, his, his passing, that this album uh, he considered one of his finest artistic triumphs. And uh, a very interesting story behind this recording. This is Stan Getz um, operating... Uh, not with a, a quartet or quintet or a rhythm section, but a string section, violins. But this isn't your usual uh, jazz artist with uh, treacly strings in the background. Charlie Parker uh, recorded with strings, so did Clifford Brown. Um, but what made those recordings was Charlie Parker and Clifford Brown. Definitely wasn't the strings. The strings were kind of... 
uh, maudlin and cheesy and that sort of thing, but it was Parker's soloing and Clifford Brown's soloing and other musicians recorded with strings as well. Sonny Stitt did a beautiful album with strings. Um, this is far and above that, uh, although it features a, a full violin section. These are compositions separate from Stan's improvising, and they were written by a gentleman named Eddie Sauter. Edward Ernest Sauter. He was, um, wrote some of the most adventurous uh, charts for uh, Benny Goodman and various other big bands. But uh, Eddie Sauter was an extremely um, well-educated man and, of course, had other aspirations as well, um, other than writing for big bands. Uh, he did form a, 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 a brief big band with uh, his partner, Bill Finnegan, and it was called the Sauter Finnegan Orchestra. And if you can find their stuff, it's most interesting uh, and unique big band music, and also very f- funny to listen to, a lot of humor. But Eddie Sauter was a, a, a serious composer. And what these pieces are, uh, there's seven of them on this album, they are individual um, pieces for a string section. Several violins, violas, cellos. And what happened was that uh, Stan Getz was intrigued by this and talked to Eddie Sauter. And, and uh, Eddie actually wrote some, many of these pieces with Stan in mind. Uh, although they hadn't actually talked yet. But then when they did talk, Stan said, all right, um, let's try and I'll play along with these um, pieces of music. And, of course, Eddie said, all right, well, I'll write out some cues for, for you. I'll be there to cue you when you come in and when you don't come in and all this kind of stuff. And I'll write out a whole bunch of guidelines for you for you to um, play over. So they tried that. And it was an abject failure. Nothing. Um, Stan said uh, they, they actually did tape some rehearsals. And Stan uh, and Eddie said, erase the tapes. We don't want to hear this stuff again. We don't think this is going to work. Anyway, Stan had heard all of the seven pieces in his mind. And he actually took them home uh, uh, to listen to in his spare time. He was busy. And, but he listened to these pieces, and of course, they, they filtered into his musical mind. And he had a bright idea, and he came back to Eddie Sauter. He said, you know, I don't want any guidelines. I don't want any chord changes. I don't want any cues. I don't want anything. Let's get the string section together and just let me improvise. That's it. I'll just use my ears. I've heard these pieces enough. I know sort of the direction that they're going. And Eddie was a little nervous about this, and he said, "Are you sure, Stan? Are you, can you do this? Are you are you sure?" And Stan said, "Absolutely, I, I can do it. There's no problem. Let's go. Let's do it." And of course, after the first rehearsal uh, of this concept, where Stan was merely improvising over the over the melodies, uh, Eddie said, "We're going to record. This is it." And, uh, and uh, then they went into the studio um, for several recording sessions and made this album. And it's a classic. 
Then there were plans later, after the album was released and became a, a, not only a, a, a success, uh, a, a bestseller for uh, Verve Records, but also the critics went nuts over this. They said, this is total innovation. This is something that no one's ever heard. Uh, they raved about it. The record sold really well. And there were plans that Stan would uh, do a, a cross-North American tour and perhaps in Europe and pick up string players along the way because every city had a symphony orchestra. And, and they had the charts, and the string players would merely read them. Stan would do his thing, and, and it would be great. But something happened in the interim. This never came about. And what came about was that Stan also, not too long after these sessions, did an album with guitarist Charlie Bird and his band, and the album was called Jazz Samba, and it became the official anthem for the bossa nova and became one of the best-selling jazz albums in the history of the music. It's, right, it's still selling, and it's right behind Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, Jazz Samba. And Stan realized that this, as much as he loved the idea of focus, the Jazz Samba thing was going to give him more work, more exposure, and resuscitate his career. So he went with the bossa nova and uh, the concept of jazz samba. And focus just simply became something that he was very proud of doing, but uh, actually never came more to fruition other than this record. One more thing I'll say is that uh, toward the end of his life, when Stan was, uh, had become ill with cancer, he was still playing beautifully, and he was approached by Herb Alpert, who was uh, one of Stan's closest friends. And uh, Herb Alpert said, look, I'll produce. If you, would you be into doing a, a focus again? We have the charts, the strings, and do another focus. In other words, revisit the concept, um, sort of like focus number two. And Stan said, no. No, that's one thing I'm not going to revisit because what was there was perfect and I'm not going to revisit that. I can revisit a whole bunch of other stuff in my career, but not that. That stands on its own. So we're going to hear it right away. There's seven beautiful pieces. Uh, the orchestra, all these pieces, as I said, were written by Eddie Sauter. And um, hats off to the late, great Mr. Sauter for writing these, uh, writing these magnificent pieces for Stan to improvise on. Uh, if you hear a bass, it's uh, John Neves. And if you hear some drums, as you will hear on the first tune, it's the great Roy Haynes, who is um, jo both John and Roy were working in Stan's working quartet. The conductor of the orchestra is a gentleman named Hershey Kay. And, of course, uh, Eddie Sauter was there to kind of supervise everything. And, uh, and obviously, Stan Getz was there. So the pieces are, we open with a very exciting track called, um, actually named after the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland, and the piece is called I'm Late, I'm Late. That's tune number one. The second tune is a beautiful piece of music called simply Her. Tune number three is entitled Pan. Tune number four is a beautiful thing called I Remember When. 
Tune number five, another exciting piece called Night Rider. And then uh, kind of a fantasy, wonderful piece of music called Once Upon a Time. And the final selection, closing the whole set, is a beautiful composition called A Summer Afternoon. So here then is our jazz feature, one of the triumphs of Stan Getz's career, the album in its entirety, the album Focus. Stan Getz plays the music of Eddie Sauter.
our jazz feature album this evening, and uh, something a little different, and especially um, featuring Stan Getz, who is most often heard in a small group context. This uh, was considered by Stan one of the highlights of his career, and uh, after recording this in 1961, um, later on, he was asked to uh, revisit the date and um, do it again with some new variations over the compositions. And he said, no, it's uh, perfect as it is. And uh, that's one piece of music and one area of um, my career that I will not, under any circumstances, revisit. And so it is. This album was issued in um, early 1962 on uh, Verve Records, and of course it stunned everyone um, with its innovation. And not only that, it's just so beautiful to listen to. It's just uh, um, superb music, and I certainly hope that you uh, felt the same about it. The music was composed, the strings were composed by a wonderful uh, musician who was uh, underrated during his uh, lifetime because he was thought of as a dance band arranger, that sort of thing. But uh, when you listen to his charts that he did for dance bands, they were far and above uh, what the ordinary um, uh, dance band uh, arrangement sounded like. But uh, Eddie Sauter had a a more serious side, and uh, he wrote these pieces of music um, with Stan in mind, although they had not uh, discussed this. And, of course, when it came around to discussing this, then Stan, of course, became the obvious choice that uh, uh, Sauter had imagined. And uh, so, of course, after a few um, failed rehearsals uh, with guidelines and chord changes and so on and so forth, uh, it was eventually uh, decided to try, because Stan had uh, actually had a tape of all these uh, string um, co- compositions, because they are, they are separate from his improvisations. They are compositions. And he listened to them and absorbed them into his musical mind. And then he, he said, look, let's, why don't I just come in and improvise? No guidelines. I'll just do it. I'll just do what I feel. And uh, Eddie said, well, I don't know. Uh, is it going to work? And it did. And they recorded it. And this is it. And this is what you heard. So the people involved, a large string section, I'm not going to go into the names of the string players, but if you did hear a bass, it was Stan's regular bass player at the time, John Neves. And if you did hear some drums, as you did on the first tune, Brushes specifically, that was the great Roy Haynes playing drums, and uh, he was part of Stan's uh, small group. The orchestra was conducted by a gentleman named Hershey Kay, and uh, the compositions, as I said, were by... Eddie Sauter, and of course the soloist was the magnificent voice of the tenor saxophone, Stanley Getz. Whatever Stan wants, Stan Getz. We um, heard the first tune was uh, sort of dedicated to the White Rabbit in uh, Alice in Wonderland, and it was called I'm Late, I'm Late. The second tune was a romantic piece of music, obviously for a very beautiful woman, and it was called Her. And then uh, a rather fanciful piece dedicated to um, the god of fertility, Pan, and that's what it was called, Pan. Then um, a nostalgic piece, beautiful piece of music, 
that I, I always liked. Uh, it's called I Remember When. And uh, then another exciting piece called Night Rider. And then um, a fanciful kind of a, a piece called Once Upon a Time. And the final piece uh, was entitled A Summer Afternoon. Seven compositions, all done in uh, the summer and the fall of 1961 and issued on Verve Records under the title Focus. As I mentioned before, there were plans to uh, do several cross-country tours with uh, uh, string players uh, p- uh, picked up in uh, in any of the major cities because the charts were there and uh, Stan would have traveled with uh, uh, his bassist and um, perhaps a drummer and uh, and his conductor, but uh, it never took place because a few months after Stan recorded a, a an album called Jazz Samba with guitarist Charlie Bird in his band, and of course Stan became the leading voice of a new, beautiful, melodic music from Brazil called the Bossa Nova. And he never looked back after that. Focus became um, history. Although he did work one more time with Eddie Sauter on um, a movie score for a movie called Mickey One. And that was uh, issued uh, about 1965, and that was uh, Stan's last association with Eddie Sauter. But this focus was, he considered, one of his artistic triumphs. So I hope you enjoyed the music on the jazz feature. We have a couple of messages, and we're going to come up with a little dedication to today, which is Labor Day. And uh, we'll tell you that in a minute. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we'll be back right after these messages. Hi everyone, we're from the UBC Food Society Yummy And we're the only food club at UBC We're about feeding students, but also teaching them how to feed themselves Through our restaurant outings and cooking workshops We hope to expose you guys to the diversity of cultures, flavors, and food communities Vancouver has to offer So if you want to get involved, email us at foodsociety at gmail.com or check up on our website at www.ams.ubc.ca slash clubs slash food society or you can even join our Facebook group. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take-home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources.
Well, we all know today is September 1st. Actually, we're going to be celebrating a birthday a little later on in the show, and it's the birthday of one of the most important saxophone players in jazz and one of my favorites, the late, great Art Pepper. But first, here is a direct tribute to Labor Day. And this is a piece of music written by Nathaniel Adderley, Nat Adderley, and of course played by the Cannonball Adderley Quintet, Julian Adderley on alto saxophone, Brother Nat, the composer on cornet, Joe Zabinul on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Lewis Hayes on drums. The Work Song. We've been told that uh, one of the more popular recordings of ours here in Tokyo is my brother's tune that's called The Work Song.
yes, our dedication to today, Labor Day, with uh, an appropriate uh, piece of music entitled The Work Song, written by Nat Adderley and played by the Cannonball Adderley Sextet. I neglected to mention one person, and I'm going to make it up to you in a minute. But uh, we heard, of course, the master of the alto saxophone, Julian Cannonball Adderley, Brother Nat, who wrote that great piece of music on cornet, and Yusef Latif on tenor saxophone, displaying his uh, not only his huge sound, but his uh, slap-tonguing technique on the tenor. And uh, great solo on that. Joe Zavanol on piano, one of the finest rhythm sections ever. Lewis Hayes on drums, and Sam Jones on bass. The work song... So I'm going to make it up to uh, Youssef by playing a piece of music uh, that was recorded for Impulse Records uh, with Youssef uh, and his own group featuring the wonderful French pianist uh, Georges Arvanitas and uh, on bass, Reggie Workman, and on drums, the late and wonderful and uh, unheralded, a lot of people have forgotten about how good this guy was on drums. He's from New Orleans. His name is James Black. And uh, he died quite young. Uh, this was recorded in 1965, what we're going to hear. This is a standard tune uh, by Rodgers and Hammerstein. And Yousef plays some amazing stuff on here on tenor saxophone. And uh, I love the way James Black um, feeds and uses his bass drum on, on this. It's uh, very interesting and, uh, and just works so beautifully. So here then, Yousef Latif and company, and Why Do I Love You? Thank you. 
Yusuf Latif. All right. Mr. Latif on tenor saxophone, along with uh, Georges Arvanitas at the piano, wonderful French pianist, Reggie Workman on bass, and the late and wonderful James Black on drums. And um, very few people could, uh, very few drummers could keep that, that pulse happening and the energy happening uh, in that tune at that tempo because they would probably try, they'd end up dragging the tempo down, slow it down. But James Black was uh, amazing on that piece, as was uh, everybody. As a matter of fact, Yousef, of course, played beautifully on it. Uh, that's an old uh, Rodgers and or um, Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein tune called Why Do I Love You, an old classic. And uh, Yousef did it up as only Yousef Latif could. After these messages, we're going to come back with um, a unique session by Bud Powell featuring horns. And uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. And, but first... Um, a couple of messages, and we'll be back. In indigenous cultures across the globe, women are givers and creators of sacred life. They nurture and shape our children. They influence future generations through the early interactions and teachings they pass on to our youth. These transfers of knowledge are in grave danger as women are common victims of violence, especially in communities where extractive industries are taking place. Violence against Indigenous women and children is one of the most serious violations of human rights, and Indigenous people have to work as equal partners with states to develop standards and mechanisms to enforce women's rights, strengthen their civic and political participation, and protect them from the different forms of violence they are commonly subjected to. We need to bring the issue of violence against women to light and work to uncover the extent of this problem so that we can seek the needed resources to put an end to this grave injustice towards Indigenous women. This series shares the concepts and recommendations contained in the Alta Outcome document. For more information, visit WCIP2014.org. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Looking at the weather, of course, uh, <laughs> the last days of the uh, of the PNE and all that sort of stuff. Well, yeah, there was a change over the weekend, and uh, this uh, it's going to stay with us uh, for a couple more days. But then uh, things are really going to change by the end of the week. So tonight is mostly cloudy, with a forty percent chance of a shower this evening, a low of fifteen. To, and tomorrow, uh, cloudy with showers. Um, continuing in the morning, and then it's going to get a little windy later uh, in the evening as well, which with a low of 15 and a high of 17. 
Now, not much variation in temperature. And then Wednesday is a little better with a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 11 and a high of 18. Then for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the forecast is one word, and it's a good word. It starts with S, and I don't mean showers. Sunny, all of those days, with temperatures going down to about 10 degrees in the evening and highs between 20 and 22. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Looking good now that the long weekend's over. (laughs) There you go. Good old Vancouver always comes through there. All right. We're back. And I've been featuring a lot of Bud Powell, um, mostly in a trio context. And one of the reasons is that I've I've simply, um, as I've mentioned before in the last few weeks, I, I finished... Uh, Bud Powell's biography, uh, written by a gentleman named uh, Peter Pullman. And the book is called Whale. And uh, it's not easy to find. You might have to uh, uh, write away for it or call chapters and have it ordered in. But it's an amazing book about one of the pioneers of modern jazz uh, who had a, a torturous life. And it's amazing that he produced uh, so much great music. Bud Powell was a genius. Uh, there's absolutely no question of that. But um, his life was, was governed by his inability to uh, function, basically, in normal society. Uh, and uh, he had to be uh, supervised and taken care of uh, a lot of the time and had uh, some severe mental problems. But uh, the thing about Bud Powell was that he's such a, a powerful musician. Uh, we're going to go back to 1949. In New York City, uh, this was a session, and he always seemed to produce uh, some great works over the years for Blue Note Records. Somehow, um, Bud Powell and Alfred Lyon always seemed to hit it off, and Alfred was able to get the best out of Bud. This is a special session in that it featured a quintet. Uh, As I said, Bud usually recorded uh, either solo piano or with a trio, just with bass and drums. And um, this time, it's with a quintet. And the people involved here, uh, one of the greatest of all trumpeters, and he's my favorite, even over Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie. Um, I'm so much pro uh, Fats Navarro and and his trumpet style. Fats, of course, uh, uh, led um, a pretty, uh, died uh, at age 26 and uh, sad to say, uh, drugs and, and, and uh, physical neglect led to his untimely passing. But he was one of the greatest of all modern jazz trumpet players. And he's heard on here, he's the trumpet player, the heavy. A young man on the tenor saxophone. This was one of his first recording dates. Uh, according to the biography, um, Bud Powell had two saxophone uh, prodigies that uh, they, they used to come by his house and, um, and, and he would train them and they would learn his tunes and Bud uh, actually gave them some informal lessons or they'd simply sit and listen to him play the piano. And um, uh, these two people were 19-year-old or, or well, <laughs> um, I should say maybe younger than 19-year-old, uh, Jackie McLean on alto saxophone. Um, 
and uh, Jackie was a, a neighborhood uh, a friend of Bud's and uh, actually looked after Bud. Um, Jackie was only 17 at the time. I, I was trying to think chronologically. A gentleman who was slightly older by about a year and a half than Jackie McLean was a young man who played the tenor saxophone, and I think you're going to recognize his name, Sonny Rollins. Now, it was very interesting because when this date was set up, uh, Jackie McLean had fully expected to play this date, and Bud Powell broke the news to him and said, no, you're not ready. You're not ready to play this music, and you're not ready to play with Fats Navarro because he'll just intimidate you. I'm going to use Sonny Rollins on the date. And this should be a lesson to you to get your ass together and go practice some more to Jackie. So that's what happened. That's why Sonny Rollins is on the date, and Sonny was scarcely out of his teens on on this uh, recording date. And the bassist is Tommy Potter. The drummer is the great Roy Haynes. We're going to hear the master takes from this session. The four uh, quintet tracks are all, um, three of them are Bud Powell compositions, and one of them is by his friend and mentor, Thelonious Monk. So the first three tunes are some of the most famous Powell compositions. We begin with Bouncing with Bud. Uh, The second tune is called Whale, and the third tune is called Dance of the Infidels. And the fourth tune by Thelonious Monk is called 52nd Street Theme. Then we're going to hear two uh, trio tracks to close this set. Uh, standard tune, a uh, beautiful tune by Coots and Gillespie called You Go to My Head, and a Charlie Parker, Benny Harris uh, composition called Ornithology closes the six tracks. So here then, the first four is the quintet. Fats Navarro, trumpet, Sonny Rollins, tenor saxophone, Tommy Potter bass, Roy Haynes drums, and of course the great Bud Powell on piano.
the six master takes from Bud Powell's Blue Note recording session, which took place August 8th, 1949, in WOR Studios in New York City. And we heard four tunes by the quintet that was put together by Bud and uh, two trio tracks. The quintet tracks featured the great master of the trumpet, Fats Navarro, and a young Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, Tommy Potter on bass, and Roy Haynes on drums. And, of course, Mr. Powell at the piano playing um, three of his compositions, plus one by Thelonious Monk. And the three Powell compositions were by the quintet, Bouncing with Bud, uh, the second tune was Whale, and the third tune was Dance of the Infidels. And then we heard Monk's um, piece of music called the 52nd Street Theme. And that used to, uh, that was adopted by all the little bebop bands on 52nd Street, which was, of course, the center of uh, uh, jazz culture in New York back in the 40s. And all the, all the bands uh, used that as a closing theme or a set closing theme, 52nd Street Theme by Thelonious. Then we heard... Um, Two trio tunes. The first one was this, the, the great standard, You Go to My Head. And uh, the second trio tune was, of course, Charlie Parker's and Little Benny Harris's tune, Ornithology, based on 
the chord progressions of How High the Moon. And ornithology became an anthem for modern jazz. Our continuing tribute to the artistry and genius of the one and only Bud Powell. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR, and my name is Gavin Walker. And uh, CITR, of course, is also on your computer. That's www.citr.ca. Today is the birthday of Arthur Pepper. Art Pepper is born in Gardena, California on this day in 1925, and he passed away in 1982. I think I saw, I saw Art and visited Art and Lori about two months before Art's passing. Uh, we happened to be in Los Angeles and um, spent a great afternoon uh, with Art, and uh, I had uh, known him over the years. I met him, of course, when he first came to Vancouver to the original cellar when I was still a high school student, and we uh, we sort of maintained uh, a, a, a friendship over the years, and uh, despite his uh, incarcerations for so many years and all that kind of stuff. But Art Pepper, of course, is one of the great voices of the alto saxophone and one of, one of the most... Um, really compelling jazz musicians. Um, he, he, his playing is, is so distinctive, and uh, Art paid his dues uh, musically. Uh, he worked in, in big bands. Um, he was quite capable of doing studio work. He was a master musician. He was a great, uh, a great reader. Um, he, could, he could do um, uh, just about any, any style of music. Um, during his early days in L.A., of course, he played with Stan Kenton's band, but he also did uh, Latino gigs and played uh, uh, R&B gigs and did all kinds of stuff to develop his complete musicianship. But, of course, uh, his standout feature is his alto saxophone playing, although he was no slouch on the tenor as well when he chose to uh, concentrate on that, to, on the larger horn. But we're going to hear one of my favorite albums by Art. It was done in uh, 1960, and um, it was just—it was one of those dates. It was just before a—it uh, was done before a major arrest, uh, which put him away for many years. Um, and he was um, actually—he actually played uh, a—he um, didn't own an alto saxophone at the time. Uh, I guess it, uh, his his major horn had uh, gone into the pawn shop. But uh, he uh, borrowed his, um, a student of his horn to play on this date, and it was a Martin, very fine uh, brand of alto saxophone, a Martin alto saxophone. And he recorded this album. Uh, it's got a rather ironic title, and we're going to hear the title track. The tune is called Smack Up, um, and that's a tune by um, uh, Harold Land, and it, it really didn't refer to uh, the slang term for uh, for uh, junk or heroin. It was uh, just meant to be um, a title because the tune is kind of an up-tempo uh, sort of a piece of music. So, but it, uh, as I said, it, it turned out to be an ironic title in in Art Pepper's uh, life. So we're going to hear that tune first of all, and then we're going to hear. Um, 
a, a couple more. But the people involved, this is an all-West Coast band. All these guys were living in Los Angeles at the time, and they're all great musicians. Art Pepper on alto saxophone with his buddy Jack Sheldon on trumpet. And a wonderful piano player. I remember he came to Vancouver uh, as a trio artist and uh, knocked everybody out. Pete Jolly on piano and on bass, from uh, originally from Philadelphia, but lived on the West Coast for many years. The leading bass player there, Jimmy Bond. And on drums, one of the greatest drummers of all times, and that was Frank Butler. We're going to hear three tunes from this session uh, entitled Smack Up. And it, uh, we're going to hear the title track first. That's a composition by the great Harold Land. Then the second tune is a 5-4 blues written by Art Pepper, and it's called Las Cuevas de Mario. And it's dedicated to a family that Art, Art knew that were very kind to him, uh, the Cuevas family. And that's why he, uh, he, he titled the tune and dedicated it to them. Then we're going to hear... A composition by Ornette Coleman, and it's one of my favorite uh, Ornette Coleman compositions. This is a blues, once again, and it's called Tears Inside, and Art Pepper just tears it up. So here are three tunes from this wonderful album, beginning with the title track, Smack Up. Thank you. 
Three Tunes, featuring uh, the great Art Pepper on alto saxophone, all recorded uh, in Los Angeles in October of 1960 from an album uh, that was issued on contemporary records called Smack Up. And uh, we heard Art Pepper, of course, who we're paying tribute to right now because it's his birthday today. As I said, he was born in Gardena, California on this day in 1925 and passed away in 1982. Art Pepper, one of the great voices of the alto saxophone. We'll be hearing a a bit more of Art from a later um, album in uh, a few moments, but uh, we'll tell you who's on this one. Art Pepper on alto saxophone, of course. Jack Sheldon on trumpet. Pete Jolly on piano. Jimmy Bond on bass and the great Frank Butler on drums. And these were all residents of Los Angeles uh, at the time, too. They're all West Coast guys. Uh, The tunes we heard, uh, we opened with uh, Smack Up, written by Harold Land, and then uh, a tune dedicated to the Cuevas family, which were friends of Art Pepper, and it's called Las Cuevas de Mario, was tune number two. That was the the tune in 5-4 time. And then Ornette Coleman's great composition based on the blues called Tears Inside was the tune number three. I'd just like to remind you that uh, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name is Gavin Walker, and we're also on your computer, which is citr.ca. And uh, we also have a couple of things to tell you about, uh, a couple of very important websites, of course. And that's the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. These people don't sleep. Uh, They may take a few vacations and so on, but uh, they're busy working, planning, and uh, doing stuff for uh, next year's Jazz Festival and also some up-and-coming events. So that's Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. That's coastaljazz.ca. Check them out on their website. And, of course, another great website is the website of Brian Nation, which is VancouverJazz.com. And as I mentioned before, there's all kinds of gigs happening in Vancouver, but they're all over the place. Uh, they're here, there, and everywhere, and it's really hard to keep up. There's really uh, uh, not a central place uh, as there was when the cellar was open uh, for jazz music. So it's happening and popping up on all little venues and uh, Pat's Pub, um uh, 1789 uh, restaurant down in the West End and uh, all kinds of different uh, spots. So to keep up with that, it's uh, advisable to get on to VancouverJazz.com because they uh, Brian keeps it up to date and he has a list of all the gigs that are happening. So if you want to uh, go out uh, with your, your friends or whoever uh, and catch some jazz music, check out the website first, and um, you'll find out where it's happening in and around Vancouver. And that's VancouverJazz.com. So uh, that's a good one to uh, look out for. One more thing, and that's my buddy Ken Speller, who is a a wonderful saxophonist and also an equally wonderful repairman. And he does saxophones and flutes, clarinets, reed instruments, and overhauls them or fixes them up or tweaks them, whatever. And he's located in the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. And Ken is just a a really good man to uh, know if you're a professional or an amateur or a student or a beginner. Uh, You need to have your instrument in good shape. 
And uh, reed instruments have a tendency to, you know, some little small thing happens and all of a sudden they don't play well anymore. And uh, Ken can discover that, fix them up, and get it all happening for you so that you, at whatever level you're at, can sound your best. And that's important. And uh, Ken is very sympathetic. He's very good with his prices. He works from home. He has a home workshop, so he doesn't have uh, to pay any kind of heavy overhead as well. So this is, uh, this is a good thing and uh, keeps things uh, economically sane. You can reach Ken uh, at his uh, phone number, which is 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933. Or you can reach him via the computer, via email, which is kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Ken Speller, good guy to know. All right, back to music and our tribute, our further tribute to Art Pepper. We go now to a date that took place uh, again in Los Angeles in March of 1977. And that's 17 years after the one we heard, uh, one we have just been listening to. And Art Pepper, of course, was a a changed man after years of uh, incarceration and um, somewhat rehabilitated. I say somewhat quote unquote and uh but his playing had had changed it, it it there was additional depth and there was uh other things happening in his playing so there it's uh, it, it's a most interesting evolution and yet he was still very much art pepper so we're going to hear two tunes from this session and this is art playing alto saxophone along with george cables on piano who is actually coming to Vancouver, September 18th and 19th. Corey Weeds is bringing George and a trio to Vancouver. And uh, you can uh, check that out if you go on to uh, Corey's uh, Facebook uh, page, and um, you'll see the schedule there. He's presenting George Cables and his trio at Pyatt Hall, the September 18th and 19th. More information on, uh, go on to Facebook, and you'll see it. George Cables on piano, Tony Dumas on uh, bass, and Carl Burnett, one of Art's favorite drummers, is right here. And two tunes we're going to hear. Uh, the first composition is called uh, Rita San, dedicated to a, a, a friend of uh, Japanese origin of Art's. And um, the second tune, again, is an Art Pemper composition called Mambo de la Pinta. Mr. Art Pepper, happy birthday, man.
That was Art Pepper celebrating a birthday today, the late, great Art Pepper. And we heard him go for broke on that last tune, playing both alto and tenor. He did some uh, overdubbing uh, to make that um, 13-minute excursion uh, come off. The first tune, um, no overdubbing on that, Art on alto saxophone with George Cables on piano, Tony Dumas on bass, Carl Burnett on drums, and a tune called Rita Sound. And Rita is um, his art. Uh, wife, um, her middle name was Rita, and she was studying Japanese, and the uh, Japanese instructor always called her by her middle name. Art Pepper's wife, of course, is Lori Pepper, and uh, she is still with us and taking care of Art's uh, musical legacy. And um, so that was uh, why that first tune was called Rita-san, and uh, dedicated to uh, Art's wife. All right, the second tune where he was featured, uh, and as I said, a little bit of overdubbing on that, uh, where he played uh, uh, together with himself, and uh, that was called Mambo de la Pinta, and that was uh, another Art Pepper composition. So our small dedication to one of the great uh, musicians in jazz history, Arthur Pepper, Art Pepper, virtuoso on uh, alto and tenor saxophones. And, of course, uh, one of the great expressive musicians in jazz music. I was uh, just reading an article on the uh, wonderful drummer, Mickey Roker. Granville Roker is his name. And, of course, he became better known as Mickey Roker. Uh, Wonderful drummer from Philadelphia in that uh, great tradition. There's some great drummers, jazz drummers from that city. Um, In the article and the interview that he did, it was a lengthy interview that I read, and he said his favorite recording was this one. And it was done with his friend Duke Pearson, a wonderful pianist, arranger, and also um, worked as an A&R artist and repertoire man for uh, Blue Note Records in the uh, mid-60s. The late, great Duke Pearson. We're going to hear two Duke Pearson compositions, and uh, Duke organized this band as well featuring Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, James Spaulding, who uh, is heard first on flute and then on the second tune on alto saxophone, the great Joe Henderson on tenor, and Ron Carter on bass, Mickey Roker on drums, and Duke Pearson, the composer of these two pieces on piano. And this is the from Duke Pearson's wonderful album called Sweet Honey Bee. We're going to hear the, fir- the title track, Sweet Honey Bee, and a second tune called Sudel. The great and wonderful Duke Pearson and his music.
Thank you.
And so ends the Labor Day edition of The Jazz Show. We heard uh, two tunes by the wonderful Duke Pearson, the late great uh, pianist composer from his album Sweet Honeybee, featuring uh, James Spaulding on flute and alto saxophone, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Joe Henderson on tenor saxophone, Ron Carter on bass, and Mickey Roker on drums. And we heard the title track, Sweet Honeybee, and uh, the second tune was entitled Sudell, both compositions by Duke Pearson. That's it for the jazz show this evening. Next week, we begin our um, back-to-school idea with uh, a very interesting jazz feature. Um, I guess it will enlighten you on some of the inner workings of uh, jazz music. So that's going to be our jazz feature next week. So uh, we hope you can join us as uh, we will all be back to the uh, September grind.